All right, let's get our, our scriptures ready today. I, I appreciate Pastor Dick's word this morning. It was so good, reminding us that God wants us to read the word, eat the word, live the word, and that's been my desire for you all this coming year, is that we would be people that are strong, and we would be people that could withstand the shaking. You know, a whole lot of shaking going on. How many of you know life is full of shakings? And the Bible says those shakings are going to intensify as Christ's return draws imminent and near. So we have to be ready, and shakings will come. You know, in the parable that Jesus told, he said, you know what, there's going to be storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. That's just part of life. And can we just settle that for a moment? Life is hard. All right, just making sure I'm teaching to the regular. Life is hard. This isn't a cakewalk. I love Randy Alcorn's words of wisdom. He said, you know, this for the Christian is the closest thing to hell we'll ever experience. Because we're going to be moving on and spending eternity with Jesus, which is awesome. The sad thing is, is for non-Christian people, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to taste. That's depressing. Now, I'm not being Mr. You know, Debbie Downer up here this morning. I'm just, I'm just reminding you that we're going to go through challenges. Amen? But here's the difference. When you're going through a challenge, what do you have that's providing an anchor in your life? What are you providing in, in your own life that separates you from other people so that when the storms come, you're not going down, you're getting stronger, your roots are growing down, you're getting, you're getting deeper. How many of you want to be standing at the end of the fight, amen, with your hands raised in victory, knowing that you've run the race well, you fought a good fight, you finished, and you're not down for the eight count. You know, there's a lot of Christians that start well, but they don't finish well. And my heart for all of you is that we would develop an appetite, a passion, a desire, a hunger for God's Word, that we would eat it and we would all together help apply the Word of God into our lives so that we're not a reed blowing in the wind, that we're an oak tree that can withstand the storms of life. And I said it isn't about just us. How I many you know people are looking to us? People are looking for people in the world today that have strength and stability and confidence in the midst of a shaking that's all around us. And the only way they're going to find those people is in the house of the Lord. They're going to find Christian people who love God and who have walked with God, who are still standing and who are unshaken. And so I want to remind us of why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. The good news is that God has spoken. Aren't you grateful God talks? Aren't you grateful that God has shared who He is and He shared His heart and His dreams with us? I love the fact that we can start in Genesis and we can see the power of God's Word speaking things into existence. And then you can fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation. And what we see in the book of Revelation is a victorious picture of Jesus conquering all of His enemies. How many of you know in between there, there's two covenants that are full of promises. And I'm a son and you're a son or a daughter. And how many of you know we're part of the family of God and our future is bright and our promises are myriad in the Word of God. And that's what gives us confidence and hope. That's what anchors us so that we can progress through this life all the way to make it safely home. Can I get an amen on that one? So that's our vision is strength and stability. Anybody want to be strong and stable this year? My challenge to you from day one was to be a person of the book because the book matters. God has spoken and his words matter. Be a person of the book. Now we're only three weeks into this new year. And I want to ask you all, you don't have to answer me, but I'm asking you, are you carving out time every single day to sit at the feet of Jesus, to read his word, to apply it to your life, to talk to him as a friend and as your father, and to receive wisdom and strength for your day? Now, if you're like most men, you'll say, oh, pastor, I, I intend on doing that. But I'm building my business. I'm going off to work. I've got so many things to do. I have to get up so early, and I'm raising my family, and I'm trying to pay the bills, and on and on and on and on and on and on. Stop it. Do you not think God knows all those things? And do you not think that God is allowing all those things to crush you, shape you, press you, squeeze you, draw you to himself so that he could be right in the middle of all those things so that he could bless you? So God's trying to conquer us, man. He's trying to... Make us men of the book so that we are men that he can build something with and build something through. It's really, really important. I, so I want to hammer this. I, I'm, hitting you, uh, I'm hitting you only a couple more Sundays on this, but I'm doing it on purpose. I do not want us to start up our year in a disordered fashion. 
God's word brings alignment, and God's word brings order, and God's word brings correction, and God's word brings wisdom so that you can prosper in everything that you set your hands to do. Here's my heart. Here's God's heart. Thus saith the Lord, I want you to prosper. Thus saith the Lord, I want you to succeed. Anybody in agreement with that word? All right. So let's be people of the book. I gave you an acronym last week. It was the acronym SCAN. And now as a teacher and a good teacher, I want to quiz you. Mr. Vassar, close your book. No looking at your notes. I love saying that to a principal sitting here this morning. I get to give him back what he gets to dish out every week with the student body. All right, I gave you an acronym, S-C-A-N. The letter S, what does it stand for? Sufficiency. When we say that the scriptures are sufficient, we have to ask the question, sufficient for what? They're not sufficient for helping you cook a certain meal. They're not sufficient for how to fix the engine in your car. That's not why we have the Bible. They are sufficient for what matters most, and here's what they're sufficient for. They will lead you to the man Christ Jesus so that you could experience salvation and eternal life that's found only in his name. How many of you know that's pretty important? They are sufficient to lead you to the man Christ Jesus and to an encounter with him that will change your destiny forever. They're also sufficient to answer this question. What does God expect from me? What does God want from me? How many of you know that's a really important question if God exists? That's a really, really important question. God does not want you to be surprised about his expectations for your life or for my life. And if we'll crack open that book, we will get all the answers we need for what God expects from us. We get Jesus, we get answers. How many of you know the Bible is sufficient, all right? Now what's the letter C stand for? Clarity. Now this is a good one because this kills every sacred cow that we've ever tried to exalt. This says, you know what, I'm just not a good reader. You know what, I'm just not a book person. You know what, I, I'm just not, I never had any formal training in Greek or Hebrew. So I'm just not going to understand the Bible very much. So I'm just going to let other people read it, and I'm just going to hear from them. How many of you know if the Bible is sufficiently unclear, you'll never meet Jesus, and you'll never know what God expects from you, because you'll be confused. How many of you know the Bible cannot not be anything but clear? I didn't say simple. I said clear. There's a difference, as we talked about last week. There are certain doctrines in Scripture that are deep water, and we need to dig in and get our shovel out and dig it out and mine it and go deep. But here's the point. God even instructs us as dads, normal dads, to teach our children the word of the Lord. Now, Johnny and I went to a tragic situation yesterday. One of his buddies on his basketball team, his father passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack, just laid down, never, never awakened. And uh, it was a really touching moment because the coach got, got all the guys together that had played on this young man's sports teams with him, and everybody wore one of their sports jerseys, and they all went through together, and they, they hugged this, this, this young man, and they encouraged the family. And it was really, really, really good moment. But on the way home, Johnny and I got into a wonderful discussion because how many know life gives you teachable moments? When you're 12 years old and you're walking up and you have to go to maybe your first funeral and you're confronted with the fact, as Johnny was, he had just talked to this man's dad the day before after practice, and you're confronted with the finality of life, how I many of you know every one of those 12-year-old boys walked past that casket or that urn and hugged that little boy and hugged his mom, and at that moment they were confronted with their own uh, immortality, all right? They were confronted with the shortness of life and the unexpectedness of life. In other words, we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. We don't have that knowledge. And it was a teachable moment as we drove home in the car because we started talking about, you know what? What is your confidence in? How do you face death? What if you don't believe in God? What do you do at a funeral if you're an atheist? What hope do you have? What is your worldview? What kind of hope does it give you? And we had a wonderful discussion in the car on the way home because, listen, young men can understand the truths of God's word and fathers in this room can understand it enough to teach them. And here's the part we don't like, and God holds us accountable to do so. Hmm, that's why we like being ignorant. Because if we're ignorant, then we can claim that we didn't know. 
But here's the cool thing. God believes in you. God has spoken to you. God has spoken to you with such clarity. You can get it. And God has spoken to you with such clarity that even our young boy or young child can understand the word of God. Johnny was in, uh, coming out of a music class the other day at school, and his music teacher informed him that Muslims and Christians all worship the same God. The Koran and the Bible both teach the same things. And Johnny had a confused look on his face. He looked back at the music teacher, and he said, if that's the case, how come Muslims are running around killing Christians? Now, that's 12-year-old wisdom coming right out of there. And the teacher said, now, we're done discussing this. That's what the teacher said. We're done discussing this. I mean, you know, Jesus, as a boy, stood in the temple, and they were astounded by his wisdom. Young people have a mind that's like a trap. They can suck in the word of God. They can memorize scripture. It's amazing. They learn languages when they're little kids like crazy. And then we get to be our age, and we're like, now, what was my daughter-in-law's name again, and which one broke her leg? I mean, how do you know we get... We, <laughs> we get really pathetic the older we get. we got to work hard to instill the Word of God in the minds and hearts of our kids. So that was the letter C, was clarity. I'm going to talk about the letter A all by itself today, and then next week, as the Lord allows, we're going to get together and talk about the letter in necessity. We're going to talk about A, authority, the authority of the Word of God. I want to give out a quote here by a great man of God, Martin Lloyd, Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, a British preacher and author, uh, great man of God, uh, great writer on revival, powerful, powerful teacher. He's with the Lord right now, but this is what he said, and I believe his words are timeless and true for us even today. He said, there can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today and most of the troubles in the world are due to a departure from the authority of the Bible. We all therefore have to face this ultimate and final question. Do we accept the Bible as the word of God, as the sole authority in all matters of faith and practice, or do we not? Is the whole of my thinking governed by the scripture, or do I come with my reason and pick and choose out of scripture and sit in judgment upon it, putting myself and modern knowledge forward as the ultimate standard and authority. I can't think of a more pertinent question to those of us here in America today that are wanting to live a faithful life, follow Jesus Christ, live according to his word, than this question of authority, because we are finding authority challenged at every turn. I mean, you know, authority is basically, if we just want a simple definition of authority, it's the right or power to command an action or compliance. The person with the, the authority has the right to tell us what to do. And so when we deal with the question of authority, we deal with the question, who says? How many of you ever heard that from your kids? Well, who says? Well, that's a question of authority. So when it comes to our lives as believers, who has the final authority in your life? What is the final standard in your life? Is, are the scriptures that final source of authority? Well, the Bible says that they should be. The Bible says that all the words of scripture are God's words. And if they're God's words, then the Bible should be our chief, supreme, and ultimate authority. I mean, you know, if God has truly spoken, which the Bible declares that he has, then his words are more important than anybody else's words. Can I get an amen? Are you guys with me? God's words are more important than anybody else's words. Now listen to me. God's not the only authority. Sometimes people take this and they get all skewed, all right? There are some Christians who act like God is their only authority. I remember a man here one time, I simply approached him, I asked him as any good pastor, what I said, hey, have you been to the men's encounter? It'd be, really be great if you went. I know you can get really blessed by that. He was offended by my suggestion. He said, I don't need an, a fresh encounter with God. I live in an encounter with God. I said, oh, really? I don't know about you, but I have days when I don't feel like my line's plugged into the Most High. Anybody, how many know Jesus got up early to go spend time with God, and he was God? Figure that out. <laughs> Jesus got up early to pray. <laughs> Think about that for a little bit, all right? And I, I said, well, you know, why don't you just go to the encounter? Because your pastor's encouraging you to go, and it would be good for you. And he said, I don't have any authority but God. How I many you know those people are scary people? Because let me just tell you something. When my son 
goes to Wheeler uh, Middle School, I can tell you who his authority is. He's got a name. His name's Tim Vassar. Principal Tim Vassar. That's his authority. When you get out of this building and you get on that street, you think, well, I don't have authority. My authority is God. Yeah, you try driving 100 miles an hour uh, down the street out here, and you might be rudely uh, awakened to the fact that, oh, no, there's another authority in your life called a police officer. Or how about the Constitution of the United States of America? Or how about authorities in the medical arena that are telling you, hey, don't eat that. Take this three times a day, whatever. I mean, you know, everywhere we go in life, we run into authority. And you sooner than sooner better than later, you should figure out who are those authorities. And let me just say, too, in the local church, God has instituted spiritual authority. And we do really good if we honor spiritual authority and we listen. Not that everybody in all those realms of authority are ever perfect, but here's the point. All that authority comes from the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 13, there is only one authority. All authority is delegated authority and it all comes from God. So the question we're asking today is, if, if the Bible is God's word to us as he declares that it is, then scripture should have a place or position of final authority. It should be the final word in our lives. It's the authority that trumps every other authority. And hear me on this, to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. I'm going to say that one again. To disbelieve or disobey the word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Sometimes people have this interesting little compartmentalization where they're cool with God. It's that Bible that gives them problems. Oh, me and Jesus. I've heard people say, I've never been closer to Jesus in my whole life. Well, at the same time, their life has never been more of a wreck. Now, they're not close to the Lord because the wreck was created or allowed by the Lord, and now they're experiencing great revival. No, they're living in denial. Their life is a wreck because they're doing everything out of context with this word, and they're reaping the consequences of their disobedience, but they say, oh, pastor, I've never been closer to God, and I just sit there looking like, you are, you are completely under a spirit of deception. Because God is not separated from his book. God and his word are not separated. God does not say one thing and do another thing. Or God does not say one thing in his book and then disregard it like it's not important for you or for me. No, when God speaks, how many of you know God speaks? And there's something powerful about the word of God that should stir us and shake us and wake us so that we don't treat it lightly. So I'm going to give you three principles here this morning to support this claim that scripture is the final authority in our life. Point number one. All the words in the scriptures are God's words. All the words are God's words. In fact, the Bible makes this claim for itself. Turn with me in 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm just going to lay some tracks here before we get into some preaching. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, everybody say all scripture, is inspired. That is, it's breathed out. It's spoken to us by God. All scripture. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, this word scripture is the word graphe. It's used 51 times in the New Testament, and each and every time it's referring to the Old Testament. That's why Pastor Dick was saying it's amazing how these false doctrines can get in even countries where somehow we believe that the Old Testament is no longer valid for us today. I've heard people say that. Jesus didn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. 51 times in scripture, the Bible says that the Old Covenant is valid, and it's the word of God, God's word to us. And we can talk about which parts apply to us today and in what way. That's a separate message. But the point is, it's scripture. How many of you know, when, when you read through the Old Testament, over and over again in the prophets, you find them saying a certain phrase hundreds of times. Y'all know what that phrase is? Thus saith the Lord. Say it with me. Thus saith the Lord. I want you to say it like a prophet now, an Old Testament prophet. Thus saith the Lord. Kind of gives you a realm of authority, doesn't it? Uh, When those words come out of our mouths. I mean, you know, when the prophets spoke that way, they were speaking in a language that everybody understood because earthly kings would have edicts. And the messenger would come up and they'd say, "Thus, thus saith King Xerxes. And how many of you know if Xerxes was making an edict, you better listen because 
not listening could cost you your life. So whenever somebody said, thus saith the king, they didn't, who's in agreement? Let's vote. No, they didn't do that. There was no vote. There was no, well, you know, I don't like that second part. The first part I'm good with, but I, I think you need to change it. No, they weren't asking for your opinion. There was a sense of finality at the end of that statement. Thus saith the king, boom, end of, dis, end of discussion. I mean, you know, when the prophets are speaking for the Lord, take that authority to a whole other level. Because when we're saying, thus saith the Lord, we're talking about the God who spoke matter into existence. You know, again, I'm talking with my son in the car, We're talking about the foolishness of atheism and the foolishness of evolution. And Johnny made the statement, Dad, even if there was a Big Bang, the Big Bang had to have something to work with. Something can't come from nothing. He understands that because he understands the Word of God. God spoke. Matter sprung into existence. Feel the power of this. When Jesus said, get up, crippled people got up. When Jesus said, shut up, demons were silenced. When people said, when Jesus said, come out, Lazarus comes out. We're talking about raw, sovereign, supernatural authority that comes from the mouth of God that has the power to create the very thing that is spoken. This is not authority at this level. This is absolute authority that should cause us to tremble. This is authority that sets things in motion. This is the same authority that when you were born again, the God who caused light to come out of darkness caused light to come into your heart so that your blind eyes could see Jesus Christ as the Son of God and something awakened in you. And just like when Jesus taught, people said, this man doesn't talk like a normal person. He talks in an ordinary way that we can understand, but there is an authority on this man's words that are awesome. That's the authority I'm talking about. It should grip our hearts when we talk about the Word of God. And I pray that God shakes us to where we get it again, and we look and we hear His words with the authority that is fully behind it, and we don't diminish His authority in any way. Listen to what God said through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.9. Then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth and he said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. God does an amazing thing with us as human beings. Clay pots. He saves us. He fills us with his spirit. And he wants to speak his words through us. So that when you speak the word of the Lord, things happen. How many of you know when you speak in your own authority, when you speak under your own opinion, there's nothing that happens But when you tell somebody who's lost and you say, look, Jesus Christ can change your life. This is what the Bible says. And you tell them that. Something supernatural is on those words that brings life and causes dead things to come to life. When you're in a situation where someone is demonized and that spirit's looking at you saying, who do you think you are? And you say, oh no, you're not looking at me. I am speaking on behalf of the God who spoke the universe into existence. He has authority over you. Come out in Jesus' name. It's the Jesus' name part that backs the weight of the authority of God. When you're dealing with challenges, marital challenges, relational challenges, financial challenges, and you open this book and you read a promise from God and faith latches a hold of the word of God. There is something powerful in this book that has the authority to change your circumstances and your life. That's what I'm talking about. We have got to put this book as the word of God in the highest place in our hearts. And we've got to know it and we've got to read it. I'm going to skip ahead, folks in the back, past the Deuteronomy passage. Go to the Second Peter passage. Look at what Peter says about the Word of God. This is Second Peter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. These were normal people, shepherds and other folks that came from all different backgrounds of life. But when they were encountered by God and when they were moved by the Holy Spirit, they said, this is what God is saying. And you know, I challenged our church this morning. 
We are a prophetic people. I love it when God speaks through different folks. But I just want to bring the fear of the Lord into this so that the word of the Lord is not cheapened. How many of you have been in services before where every week someone's saying, Thus saith the Lord, and it's the same thing over and over again. And what happens is, is especially when there's a sense that that really wasn't what God's saying, what happens is whenever anybody says, I feel like God's saying this, you automatically have diminished the value of what's going to come next because you're treating the prophetic word with contempt. You know what I'm talking about? Because you think, well, that's not really God. All I'm encouraging us is as God is going to speak through us. We are full of his spirit. We're full of his word. He will activate his word. I like to suggest that we say something like this. Instead of standing up like an Old Testament prophet and dressed, you know, eating locusts like John the Baptist and saying, Thus saith the Lord! Ah! No, don't do that. Your presentation is not going to come over real well. How about something like this? You know what? I'm sensing that the Holy Spirit is saying this. And then you share it. You know why? Because the word of the Lord is awesome. And you don't ever want to misrepresent God. I'm not trying to say this to scare you all into silence. That's not the point. The point is just this. When you're sensing God wants to say something to somebody else, how many of you know that is a holy moment? Because you're not going to find anything higher than the word of God. So we share things. And I even say sometimes, because I'm, st- I'm still learning to hear from God. How about you? I even say sometimes, you know what, this is what I'm sensing. It might be wrong. You sort it out because it should be confirmation if it's from God. God should already be speaking these things to you. But this is what I'm sensing. I just wanted to share this to encourage you. How many of you know when you're full of the word of God and somebody's dealing with something at work and they bump into you, what comes out of your heart? Encouragement. Hey, let me just encourage you, man. God is for you. Let's pray together. It's going to be all right. What comes out of you? The word. And when you speak the word of the Lord, stuff begins to happen. In the atmosphere around you, in people's lives around you. So speak the word of the Lord. The Bible, you know, when we go down to the state house, and for instance, we give God's opinion on marriage. How I many you know God's opinion is the only opinion that counts on marriage? It's the ultimate standard. Well, that's just a book written by men. That's just a, that book is out of date. That book, that book. Now, you have a defective view of the authority of the word of God. This book is not out of date. This book was not written by men. It was written through men who were full of the Holy Spirit, but not by men. Peter makes that very clear. Not by the prophet's own understanding and not from human initiative. Hey, look at Jesus. Remember when he was tempted. This is Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus said this. No, he says, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus is tempted by Satan, what does he do? He quotes the Bible. What portion of Scripture does Jesus quote on three different occasions? Deuteronomy. Where is Deuteronomy? Old Testament. What is Jesus doing? He's saying that everything in that book is from God, and it was spoken by God, and it carries the authority of God. Everything. It's a pretty drastic statement. Jesus is endorsing the Old Covenant. As truth and as the word of God. Pretty amazing. There are many, many other examples. I just want to give you one from the New Testament, which is powerful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I got this up in the Amplified Version. I love the way it says it. It says, we also thank God continually for this, that when you received the word of God concerning salvation, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, listen to this, not as the word of mere men, but as it truly is, The Word of God. Look at what the Word of God does. It is effectual. That means it's creating what it was intended to create in us who believe. Paul's saying here, when we preach the gospel to you, it was not our words, it's God's words. And when you receive them as God's words, you receive God's impact from those words. If you you approach the Word of God... As just another book, let me just, I'm going to give you a little hint here. You're going to receive what you would get from just another book. You might get a little inspiration. You might get confused. You might get a lot of things. But let me tell you what you won't get. You won't get what God intended for you to get because you're not receiving it as the word of God speaking to you for your life. When you receive it, it is effectual to those who believe. That's the key word, who believe. Now let me ask you another question. This leads to point number two. 
How can we believe if we don't believe that God is true and that he cannot lie? In other words, if God's a liar, how can we trust his word? But point number two says simply this, God cannot lie. Because the Bible is God-breathed or inspired, we can expect it to be flawless, perfect, inerrant, and trustworthy in everything that it addresses. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't believe all the Bible. I mean, Pastor, do you really believe that Adam and Eve were real? Do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish? Do you really believe that a serpent talked to Eve? Do you really believe that the Red Sea split wide open and God's people walked through? Do you really? Do you really? Do you really? Can you all see a pattern here? This sounds like all the way back in Genesis. This is what Satan does all the time. Has God really said that? Do you, do you really believe that? You need to recognize that when that's going on in your head, recognize the source from whence that comes. That's the devil messing with you. Do you really believe that serpent talking to Eve? Yeah, he's talking to you right now. The brother's talking to you right now. You better believe. This is crazy. Do we really believe? You know, we tell this story in regards to the choices we make for entertainment. We use this with our kids all the time, but it works with the Bible. Well, I believe, I believe 90% of the Bible. Oh, okay. So 10% doesn't pass the test for you. No. Okay. Well, let me just tell you this. We just made an incredibly warm dish of brownies, and we've got some milk in the back. Uh, but there is a little bit of poop in the brownies. <laughs> let me just tell you one question you would not ask. How much? You wouldn't ask how much. Well, some of you I'm looking at, you might, well, I really like brownies, Pat. All right, you might, you might ask how much. No, if, if, if I told you, yeah, these are really great brownies, it's mama's famous recipe, but when I picked up the grandbaby, uh, the diaper fell off in the, I'm sorry, but now I don't think it was a lot. You'd be looking at me like, you are sick, dude, you are sick. You know what, because you're not going to eat one little bit of those brownies, you know why? Because you don't know how much poop's in the brownies. But here's the point. There is poop in the brownies. <laughs> if there's poop in the book, you're not going to trust it. And you're not going to trust the author. And you know what? If there's, if there's poop with Noah and the, and, the, and the big fish, how do you know that you can believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose the third day and he's coming back again? Let me give you the answer. You can't. If God's word, every bit of it, is not true, then your confidence in God's word is absolutely shaken. And if your confidence is shaken, you're not going to be able to stand as you need to stand and honor God as you need to honor God. The good news is God's not a liar. Let me just say this. The good news is it is impossible for God to lie. Nothing is impossible for God except that he would lie. Let me give you a scripture here. Look at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says this letter is from Paul, and Paul says, I've been sent, and he gives a couple things he've been sent to, but here's the part I want you to see. I have been sent to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence that they have eternal life, which God, and it puts in here parenthetically by the Holy Ghost, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. How many of you have ever had this discussion with your kids? I've had it with all my kids. This is my discussion with them. I say, look, we can have no relationship if I can't trust you. Why can we have no relationship if there's no trust? Because trust is the foundation of every relationship. How many of you know if, you're, if you can't trust your spouse in your marriage, you're going to have intimacy problems? If you can't trust your kids, they say, Dad, can we go out to such and such place? Who's going? Curly, Larry, and Moe. Okay, great. And then you find out it wasn't Curly, Larry, and Moe, and they didn't go where they said they were going to go. And then they ask you next time, Dad, can we go out to... No! Why no? Because you violated my trust. I can't trust you. Okay, so now we need to reestablish trust. Yes, now we need to reestablish trust. Let's take this up a level. 
Do you trust God? Or has the devil convinced you that he's a liar and he's untrustworthy and that his promises are untrue and that you can't depend upon him in your time of greatest need? You have to be able to trust that God will never, ever, ever tell you a lie or never do anything contrary to what he said he would do. You have to believe that. And it goes back to the character of God. Why can I trust God's promises? Because I trust the, the God who made the promise. I shared some of you teenagers. The best attended youth group was how to get your parents to do whatever you want them to do. And they had my kids showed up all over the place for that, t- that talk. And here's what I told them. Never violate their trust. Always honor them. Love Jesus. Put Jesus first in your life. And then ask to go do this, that, or the other. You know what will happen? Your mom and dad will say yes. Why? Because you're walking in the fear of the Lord. You're honoring. You're, you're a person of integrity. And they trust you. It's amazing how that works. That's the way God is. Look at Hebrews 6.18. God has given both his promise and his oath. A promise and an oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, check this out, can have great confidence. Everybody say great confidence. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. You know, somebody might be thinking, well, pastor, you're telling us that the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. That sounds like circular logic. No, check this out. When you're talking about ultimate things, when you go only so far to the top until you reach what is ultimate, there is nothing higher than what is ultimate. So check out what God does. God says, I'm going to swear to you that my promises are true. Hmm. Shall I swear by Dick Basta? Shall I swear by the prophet Jeremiah? Shall I swear by the sun or the moon or the stars? No, all those things are created things. There's only one person God can swear to on an oath, and that's to his own incredible glory and character and trustworthiness because there's nothing greater than God. There's nothing higher than God. There's nothing more ultimate than God. So check this out. When God says his word is true, and he cannot lie. He's swearing on the basis of who he is. Now, you have the choice to receive that or to deny that. When Jesus says, everything the book says is true, and it's inspired by God, you can either believe Jesus, or you can choose another source of authority for your life. See, the problem isn't that God hasn't made his authority clear. The problem is his authority comes in conflict with me. How many of you ever had this happen in your household? Hey, Dad, can I do this? Mm, no. What's the next response? Why? And I want you to see something here. When you're appealing to ultimate authority, ultimate authority is the why. So in my home, I'm the ultimate authority. The buck stops with moi. So when my kids say, why, here's what we say as parents, and kids don't like this, because I said so. Sometimes there's an appeal. Sometimes there's a negotiation. (laughs) And a good father listens to all those things. But hear me, at the end of the day, you don't need to explain yourself, Dad. You need to be submitted to God. You need to be loving your family. And you need to lead your family. And sometimes no is a good word. And it's all that you need. Because you're appealing to ultimate. In other words, it's not like, well, let me get back to you. Let me appeal to a greater authority. No, you are the authority. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, why? And then you hear silence sometimes. You just appeal to ultimate authority. What he said is good. Go with it. Trust it. Follow it. Are you all getting anything out of this this morning? He can't, he can't go any higher than himself. He is absolute authority. And his promises are true because he cannot lie. All right, quickly, let me move on. Here. I love this great quote. He says, God did not inherit his authority because there was no one to bequeath it to him. God didn't receive his authority because there was no one to bestow it on him. God did, uh, God's authority didn't come by way of an election because there was no one to vote for him. God's authority was not seized because there was no one to steal it from. God did not earn his authority because it was already his. God inherently embodies authority because he is the great 
I am. Isn't that good? I love coming into face-to-face confrontation with ultimate authority. And then the question becomes, will I, Ron Johnson, submit my life to that authority or will I go my own way? Let me end with this, point number three. God's words are completely true and the ultimate standard of truth. Look at Psalm 12, verse 6, very quickly. The Lord's promise is sure. He speaks no careless words. Isn't that good? All he says is purest truth, like silver, seven times refined. No careless words with God. Every word counts. Every promise is sure. Look at the next one, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Wow. Every word of God proves true. Think on these things. Look at 2 Samuel seven twenty-eight. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Look at what he says. Your words are true and you have made this promise to your servant. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that the promises that God has made to us are sure they're going to come to pass because God is a God of truth. What a good reminder. Jesus said this in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. And I want you to see, Jesus doesn't use the word truth as an adjective. Jesus doesn't say, God, you speak true words. He uses truth as a noun. He says God's words are truth. They're the source of truth. They're the ultimate standard of truth. So the Bible, I want you to hear this because this needs to be spoken in our culture today. The Bible is not simply true because it conforms to a higher standard. Rather, it's the ultimate standard under which everything else is properly judged. Now let me just say this. We live in this pluralistic culture today where everybody's got their own opinion and on and on and on. And, you know, we go down to the state house, for instance, and when we're arguing about marriage that God created, how many of you know the ultimate standard of truth is the Word of God, and that standard applies not just to religious people in churches? Do you know that what God said about marriage applies to anybody out there that's ever been created? God's God's standard is the standard by which every other definition is to be measured. So when churches and whole denominations cave on their definition of marriage, and they go with a, another source of authority, you are basically putting you-know-what in your brownies, and, you're, and hear me, you're incredibly dishonoring God. When all of a sudden we have to change our understanding of human sexuality to be cool, instead of looking at what God's Word clearly says about how we're to express our sexuality. How many of you, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord and you're not living with God defining you. You're trying to sit outside of the book and you're trying to define what God should be like. I hear people all the time, they say, you know, well, I don't like the Old Testament because God's mean. No, God's not mean. You need to elevate your understanding of a couple of things. Sin, holiness, judgment, obedience, God's not playing around. When you find passages of the Bible that irritate you or upset you, God doesn't have the problem. Let me give you a hint. God does not lie. God, when he speaks, speaks with authority. And when he speaks in the Bible about these things, my responsibility is to tremble before absolute authority, not to give him suggestions about how to improve his public relations game. God doesn't have a problem with public relations. We have a problem. That's what the book came to deal with. The problem is sinners. The problem is rebellion. The problem is we think there are other authorities out there that have more authority over our lives. Let me just tell you, if you're a Christian and you say, yeah, but you know, I'm in the scientific community and, you know, I, you know we're taught to believe that evolution is true. So What? You have a brain like everybody else. And you're either going to go back to the fact that God spoke or you're going to put in an alternative system of truth and you're going to exalt that above the word of God in that particular area of your life. Can you all see where I'm setting you up for conflict? Because we never have problems until we have the issue of authority. And you know that when I go down to the state house and I got all these people clothed in rainbow, clergy, clothed in rainbow, this and that, 
And they're all twisting the scriptures to say Jesus was probably a homosexual himself, you know. Um, and I'm standing there, I'm telling you, my blood is boiling on the inside, not out of an anger or hatred for people who are trapped in sin. I want you to know I have great compassion. But here's the hope that we have. You will never get set free from brokenness if you can't appeal to an authority greater than psychology, greater than naturalistic science, greater than sociology. If you don't have an authority to appeal to that carries the weight to change the human heart, me hugging you and embracing you for who you think you are is not helping you. I am condemning you to misery and you're going to stand before God someday in your delusion and you're going to think that the church you went to somehow patted you on the back all the way to hell. That is not a good church to go to. That is not a church to go to. When you stand in those arenas and you say, listen to me, which is what I had the privilege to do with this committee over here of politicians pushing laws that God hates. Listen to me. I'm speaking the word of the Lord. That changes the atmosphere. It doesn't matter what your constituents think on this issue. Thus saith the Lord. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Everybody else is a pretender. When you compartmentalize your life into where Jesus fits for you, you're not under the authority of God's word. You're your own authority. You're submitted to you. Listen, there's no neutrality in the universe. You either submit to what is ultimate, or you submit to something in the created realm, which is a counterfeit and a demon. There is no neutrality. The question I want to ask you today is this question. Will you give the Word of God the place of highest authority in your life? Will you love this book Because this book is no normal book. This book is God speaking to you. Will you you embrace the book, eat the book, read the book, cry out for wisdom to know the book because you're so glad that you follow a God who loves you enough to open his mouth and to communicate his heart and his vision and his purposes. Listen, for your good and for your blessing because he's so committed to you. That's the God that we serve. Will we be people in this earth where everybody's compromising? Will you be a person that is radically submitted to God's word? You know, we're celebrating this year the 500th anniversary, anniversary of the Reformation. Reformation's a big deal. Reformation is Martin Luther standing before the authorities of his day and saying, no, it's not the traditions of men or the traditions of the church and the word of God. It is the word of God alone that has ultimate authority in my life. And he stood there before that council that could have him killed, and he said, I stand committed to God's word and to my conscience as I understand it. That is a radical place. That that is the stripping away of everything, getting down to the final point. And I'll tell you, there is a a great reward in heaven for the Martin Luthers of this world, who in spite of all the, the coolness, the cool crowd, the popular crowd, everybody that's changing, trying to you know, put God in skinny jeans or whatever. Listen, and I wear skinny jeans, so I'm not against skinny jeans. But you're trying to make God cool. Stop it. Why don't you just listen to his word? Shake by his word. Let's get back to the authority. When God says, I want to do this, he alone has the authority to back up what he wants to do. He alone gives us hope. He alone gives us solutions. He alone gives us wisdom. He alone, I mean, I was just praying with a woman this morning. We laid hands on a document, and we prayed, and we prayed believing that in whatever's going on in her world, the, the, the shaking, we just applied the Scripture and the truth of God to that. And as I was praying with her, I was gaining confidence for her on her behalf and thinking how awesome it is to process the challenges of this life under a sovereign God who controls and orders all things and works out everything for the good of his people. Aren't you glad you're part of his people? Aren't you glad you got promises? Aren't you glad you got a God who cannot lie? Aren't you glad you got a God who speaks? Oh, I'm so glad I'm a son of God. Second service wiped me out in, wor- in worship. I was, just, I was just weeping. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop God Almighty, no one. Man, I felt like a giant on the inside. 
How, you know, that's what I'm talking about. I want us to be giants in a world full of spiritual dwarfs. Let's be giants. How do you be a giant? You eat God's word. You believe God's word. You stand on God's word in the face of conflict. You know what you believe. And, and listen, to honor the word of God is to honor the God of the word. So you can't let people trample your Bible, rip it apart, say it's foolishness, and not ha- take that personally. And I don't mean fight people at your lunch break by the cooler. I'm not talking about that. But here's what I'm talking about. There's a fire that goes off inside of me. That, and here's the fire. I want the glory of God to scream. I want the earth to be full of the greatness of God. I want people to tremble at his presence. I want God to be so big in this place, his presence, that sometimes we're on our face, sometimes we're crying. I mean, you know what Pastor Dick said is great. If we're ne- we never feel convicted of our sin, I mean, you know, that's a scary place to be. It's like having spiritual leprosy where, where your sense organs are gone and you got your hand in the fire, it's getting burned off and you don't even know it because your, your, your nerves are dead. Thank God for conviction of sin. I want to feel alive in his presence. Are you with me? And, and, and even more important, listen, that when we speak the word of the Lord, expect God to begin doing great things. When we pray the word of the Lord, let's believe God this year for the supernatural, for things bigger than we could ever imagine. That's what the February message is about. Get ready. I want you guys to be dreaming with God. I want us to, when we read the word, that the promises explode in our hearts, and we're like, yes, let's go for that. But I want us to get the whole deal. We can't, we can't pick and choose. We can't spit out the parts we don't like. We got to eat it all. Stand to your feet. I want to pray. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Come on, let's just worship him a little bit. Father, we just magnify the greatness of your name. Lord, we sit under the authority that is your authority, your power, your sovereign right to rule us, Lord. That's what it means to be in the kingdom, Lord. You rule us. Jesus, rule over every dimension of our lives. God, forgive us where we've treated your word with contempt or we haven't honored you or we've twisted it or we've allowed your word to fit what we want to do or how we want to live instead of the other way around, Lord. Forgive us. God, give us a sense of holy fire in our hearts, jealousy to see your name and your word established in our own lives, in this church, in this community. Lord, we pray that every counterfeit demon, every idol, every false authority would come crumbling down and God, every idol in our land would come crumbling down, that the wisdom of God, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God would be manifest through your church. And Lord, help us to truly love and to eat your word the way we should. Help us to have a hunger for it. God, help us to approach you correctly so that when we open that book, we realize we're holding the very words of God. What an incredible privilege. Jesus, help us to honor you by honoring your word this year. Order our lives. We don't want to be led by our own understanding. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways, and you will direct our paths. Lord, direct us this year. May this year be the most incredible year we've experienced to date, and God will give you the glory and the honor and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's honor the Lord with our applause. We love you, Lord.